Today's sermon was written by the Reverend Keith Davies and is entitled One Way or the Other and is based on Matthew chapter 7, the verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to eternal life. Those who find it are few. Let us pray. Lord, we ask if you could bless this message, that it may have been encouragement and comfort to us all as we hear your gospel preached. Strengthen me as I deliver this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ, every day we make countless choices. Most of those choices are little and of no consequence. We choose which shirt to wear, what to eat for breakfast, or which way we drive to work in the morning. Every now and again we are faced with choices that do have a lot of significance, like what career we pursue, what person we marry, where we should settle and live. But all these choices pale in comparison to the choice presented to us in this text this morning. Here in Matthew 7, Jesus lays before us the single most important choice we will ever make. It is the ultimate choice because it not only determines the direction of our lives here on earth, but that choice determines our eternal destiny. The biggest decision of anyone's life is whether he should follow the narrow path or the broad path. Our Lord explains what that means to us this morning. Here Jesus calls his people to choose the narrow path. There are just two points this morning, the first being the choice Jesus presents and the second the path Jesus describes. So firstly the choice. As Jesus draws the Sermon on the Mount to a close, he demonstrates the way uh, every great ev evangelical preacher should preach. By, what it, by that I mean that he moves his listeners beyond the point of being a passive audience to the point of making a conscious decision. Decision of the will as to whether they are going to believe in Jesus and follow his way or reject Jesus and go their own way. In other words, it's not enough to sit back and listen to, listen to Jesus preached and admire his style or eloquence, or be impressed by his clarity or candor, or his boldness to speak against the establishment. It's not enough to admire Jesus for his wisdom and his grasp of the scriptures. Sometimes people get caught up in that, you know. They judge a sermon not by its content, but by its delivery, its presentation. I've had unbelievers listen to my sermon and they come to me after church and say how they were quite impressed by the ease which I can stand before a crowd and speak, or by the power and passion of my delivery. They say, that was a nice speech. 
The problem with that is that the gospel demands more from the listener than a critique of the preacher. The gospel demands a verdict. It demands a response. And Jesus brings the crowd to that very point. In today's terminology, someone might refer to this as an altar call. But no matter what you call it, the point is the same. Jesus brings the crowd to a moment of decision. Now, I realise that as Reformed Calvinists, we get a little nervous when someone talks about decisions and choices for Christ. After all, we confess Jesus' absolute sovereignty and election. We believe that God, that in God's spirit who moves, we believe that it is God's spirit who moves us to seek God, who was already seeking us. And yet we also subscribe to the teaching that God uses means to call us to faith. We believe in the genuine call of the gospel, whereby the Lord of the word comes to us and calls us and all mankind to repent and believe on Jesus Christ, that we can be saved, lest anyone rejects Jesus as saviour and perish in their sin. And there are plenty of passages to prove that God does put choices before us. In Genesis 4, God came to Cain and said, If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, do not do what is right, God is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must have master, you must, but you must master it. God gave Cain a choice to do the right thing. But Cain chose to do the wrong thing. Later, in Deuteronomy 30, God called to Israel through Moses, saying, Choose life in order that you may have life, by loving the Lord and obeying his voice. The people had a choice as to whether they would obey God's command and have long life and prosperity in the land, or disobey God's commandments and suffer the consequence of exile or death. That's where the little, the well-known passage of Joshua 24:15. After entering the promised land, Joshua called the people together to renew their covenant with God by saying, "Choose this day whether you well, choose this day whom you will serve." Those passages speak clearly of man's responsibility. God is sovereign, but man is responsible, and man is held accountable before God for the choices he makes in life. And in the end, man will be judged by God for that decision. So here in Matthew 7, Jesus illustrates life's most important choice by referring, referring to these two paths. That stands before a traveller. The fact that there are only two paths is significant. For the same reason, and in the verse that follows, Jesus speaks of two trees that produce two kinds of fruit, good and bad. Two kinds of people, those who claim to know God and those who really do know God. Two houses with two very different foundations, one made of sand and the other of rock. These side-by-side -side comparisons not only emphasise the necessity of choice between the two, but it highlights the fact then in all of life, there are but two directions. There are but two options. There is the way that leads to life, and there is a way that leads to death. All mankind is headed in one of these two directions. There's no middle ground.
There's no third option. Furthermore, this speaks directly to the millennium generation. Jesus makes no concession for those who claim to be non-religious, who want nothing to do with Jesus or heaven or hell, and would prefer, and would prefer a safe space as opposed to being forced into a decision. There is no setting out the decision, no choosing a path. It is not choosing a path is not an option. You are either for Jesus or you're against Jesus. Another point to consider in this, another point to consider is this. Of the two paths which Jesus speaks, the broad path represents many, many roads to destruction. There are many roads that lead to death. We will talk about that in a few moments. But the Murrah path, on the other hand, represents the one way of salvation. There are so many paths that lead to death, but one way that leads to life. As author John Stock pointed out, Jesus cuts across what he calls our easygoing synthetism. People of our age and every age who have embraced the idea that there are many gods and many religions and many paths to heaven. While we may differ in our definitions and basic beliefs, the understanding is that every religion is the same in that it draws us to some greater power, to some higher purpose. It motivates us to do good, to make good choices and be good people. But what Jesus says here destroys that philosophy. Jesus rules out all forms of syncretism. Jesus was not very popular in his day and would, he would be equally hated in our day. Jesus was intolerant of other religions. He made exclusive claims about himself and his religion. Jesus declares that there are not many ways, but only one way. There are not many religions all possessing the same parts of the truth, but rather there is one faith, one religion that possesses all truth, and that it is the faith that exalts Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, as the one mediator between God and man. And all good preaching, all faithful gospel preaching, brings the listener to that very conclusion, to the point we are, where we are called to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to be saved, to be members of his eternal kingdom. That choice is presented even to those who really believe and are already saved. The choice to follow Jesus is a daily decision, not a one-time decision. I don't mean that every day we have to decide to follow Jesus and to be saved over and over again. No, that happens once. But the call to follow Jesus, the call to walk along the narrow path, is a choice we make every day in all our decisions. We will glorify God in our business dealings, in our personal relationships, in our free time activities. Each time we attempted to do that which is evil, to do that which goes against the will of God, that we achieve, sorry. And each time we attempted to do that which is evil, to do that which goes against the will of God, what will we choose to do? Will we obey our parents? Will we love God more than our secret sins? Will we follow Christ? There are always two choices, like these two paths, one 
is the pathway to holiness that leads to joy, to victory, to life, to fellowship with God, and the other is a path of unrighteousness, the path we know all too well, that leads to sin, brokenness, sorrow, tears, to pain and regret. In the gospel, in the gospel, Christ calls us to choose the right path, the narrow path, the path that leads to life. Now the second point, the path Jesus describes. This is the choice Christ presents. Secondly, we'll look at the paths Jesus describes. As we already know, there are only two paths. But notice how they differ in terms of their width and destination. Jesus says there is a narrow path and there is a broad or wide path. Jesus not only mentions the width of the pathway, but he also mentions the gate, which is the trailhead, the opening to the path itself. Jesus is comparing and contrasting the narrow gate and the pathway of the kingdom of God or heaven to the broad gate and pathway to the kingdom of darkness, hell. Let's talk about the broad way first. The broad way or wide road is the easy way. It's, it is the road that many, many find and many choose to travel. The reason it's easy is that many people find it or choose it because it is the path we are born to tread as fallen sinners. The Bible teaches us that we are conceived and born in sin. Our sinful nature finds itself at home on this path. This is where we long to walk by nature. It is an easy path. Even as Christians, we can testify to this. We feel it in our own heart and soul that the easy things to do when something, someone does something mean to you, boys and girls, that's the easy thing to do. What's, what is the easy thing to do when your brother or sister calls you a name or pushes you in the back or makes fun of you? The easy thing is to retaliate. The easy thing is to shove them back, to call them names or to make fun of them. The easy way is not very demanding. It has very few rules. It is the path of least resistance. It is the familiar pathway of human indulgence, of no restraints, simple pride, of selfishness, decadence, and self-satisfaction. It is a pathway strewn with the promise of earthly pressures, of richly, earthly riches, self-fulfillment, joy, happiness, and ultimate satisfaction. It is also the pathway of choice to those who make their home, make this world their home, who live for today, who give no thought to God or the life hereafter. That's what makes this pathway so appealing, so popular. That's why so many people are travelling on it. I mean, who doesn't want these things? Many believe that this path leads to everything the world has to offer. But in reality, beloved, the broad path, the wide path, is a pathway of the self-deceived. It is the pathway of the spiritually blind. It is a pathway where Satan himself is happy taking everyone by the hand and leading them, enticing them, luring them along, just as Satan did with Eve. He lied to her and convinced her that God was holding out on her, that God's way was the wrong way or boring way. Satan conceived Eve that if she followed him, 
then he would open her eyes and then she will see and then will experience what life is about. So that's one path. But now, what about the other path? What about the narrow path? As Jesus says, it's a, it's a path with a narrow gate that few find and few take. But why is that? And, and one of the things I've always wondered when Jesus told this little story and made this comparison, why does Jesus make his kingdom sound so small, so unpopular and so un unattractive? Well, we begin to answer these questions by first looking at what is required to enter the narrow gate. Now remember again, what was required to enter the narrow gate? We just have to, we just have to remain who we are. We remain in our sin and live the, life, the way we want to live. We do the things we want to do, but, that is but what is required to enter the small gate and walk the narrow path that leads to salvation? Jesus, as Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Only those who have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord can begin to walk this pathway. In John 10, Jesus declares, I am the gate through which the sheep must enter. And then in John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So to walk the narrow path, one must first of all find the way of salvation. As Peter's pre and Peter preached about the way in Acts 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. That name is Jesus Christ. I believe a second reason the gate is small and the path is narrow is because it speaks to the smallness of the kingdom of God in the eyes of man. It speaks of the smallness of Christ in the eyes of man. In his parables, Jesus portrayed his kingdom as tiny as a mustard seed and as treasure hidden in a field. There is a smallness and hiddenness in the kingdom of God that is even reflected in the Christ of Christmas. In the smallness, the meekness and humility of our divine Saviour who came to earth in human form, taking the form of a servant, the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace who came from heaven to earth as a tiny, helpless babe born in Bethlehem. The gate is small. The gate is almost hidden from view. The gate is hard to find for Jews who sought miraculous signs and the Greeks seeking wisdom. To them, following Christ seemed like foolishness. But as Paul said, to those who God has called, Christ is both the power and wisdom of God. A third reason this path is called narrow is because it's a hard path. As we said before, the broad way is easy because it is a path of self-indulgence and self-satisfaction. But the narrow path is hard because it is the pathway of self-denial and self-sacrifice. When entering through the narrow gate, and when entering through the narrow gate means believing in Jesus, that on account of what Jesus did for us on the cross, his righteousness has become our own. It means that we are to strive after holiness each day. Christian life, the Christian walk we are going on, sorry, the Christian life, the Christian walk is one of going of ongoing sanctification where God, 
by his word and spirit calls us to die to our sinful ways, to put the sinful nature to death, to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. Again, this is not easy. In fact, as Jesus also spoke about in his parables, many people began to walk down the narrow path. They had an initial desire to follow Jesus, but then the trials of life pressed on them, or the temptations of life caused them to stumble. Some leave the narrow path and go back to the broad path because they didn't want to deny themselves. They didn't want to take up their cross and follow Jesus. A fourth reason that Jesus calls this path a narrow path, it'll cost us something. Following Jesus requires a sacrifice. In Matthew 19, Jesus speaks of those who left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or fields for my sake. Disciples did that to follow Jesus. And in our own lives, Jesus calls us to put him first, even in marriage, in friendship, even on Sunday. I know realtors who sacrificed a lot of business and clients because they refused to sell homes and show homes on Sundays. But following Jesus means putting him and his kingdom first, and that requires sacrifice and trust. Some of you might know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a Lutheran minister who was part of the underground movement which opposed Hitler in, German, in Nazi Germany. He was ultimately arrested and put to death shortly before the end of the war. But he knew something about the cost of discipleship. He coined the term cheap grace. It is a term used to refer to those who attempt to follow Jesus at no cost or inconvenience to themselves. He wrote, cheap grace is a preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. He would say it is the grace without striving for holiness, without the suffering of righteousness' sake, without the sacrifice of what is required to follow the, na the narrow path to follow Christ to the end. So yes, walking the narrow path is difficult, it is hard, it is unpopular and we can look over and see the crowd over there on the other path. And so often their way of life looks far easier and maybe at times we're tempted to go along with a crowd to take the easy way once in a while. But Jesus calls us to stay on the path in spite of the difficulties. Let's be honest and clear about this as well. The path before us is hard at times. The path Jesus calls us to follow is fraught with perils and impediments and stumbling blocks. All of us has fallen along the way. We've all stumbled and fallen and wandered from the pathway. We have needed the Lord, our faithful shepherd, to come after us and bring us back to the safety of the narrow way. Yet, and yet the beautiful and comforting thing is that we never walk this path alone. This is the same promise God made to you and to me. I think of the wonderful words which the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41. Do not fear, 
for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your Lord. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you and my right with my righteous right hand. Then in chapter 43, the Lord says through Isaiah again, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Beloved, the Lord is with us every step of the way, isn't he? He guides our steps. He takes us by the hand. When we stumble and fall into sin, he helps us up. He forgives us and strengthens our weak knees. And as to the place where the Lord is leading us, to the destination of the narrow path, we have to remember that the sacrifices and troubles, the cost of following Jesus, is but a small is but a small thing compared to the glory that will be revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Blessings abound for those who follow Jesus. Blessings not only in the life to come, but also blessings here and now. The narrow path is a path that leads to life, to fullness of life. It is a pathway that leads to joy, true joy and everlasting joy. It is a pathway that leads to eternal fellowship with God, and those are blessings the world cannot offer. So, which way will you go? Which path will you choose? Today, the gospel calls you. Jesus calls you to choose the narrow path that leads to life. Amen. <laughs>